Delaney. And it's Katie, and this is Classically Black Podcast. Where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession. With track beats playing in the background. We on Zoom this week, y'all, so it sounds funny. Mind your business. <laughs> it don't. <laughs> we're racing against, we're racing against the clock. It's my three-year-old nephew's over here, and, um, you know, in a, in a room with the door closed, but, you know, he could come busting through Oh, that don't mean nothing to <laughs> So, toddler, door closed. <laughs> Kicking <laughs> the door open, <laughs> put kicking it down. Right, so off the hinges. <laughs> um, yeah, so we we you know we just gonna try to get through um real quick <laughs> the the parts of this episode that we have to record. All right, so without further ado, um, why can't you just say stuff the way it's supposed to be to say? I know you're not talking, Miss. Wait, 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 just. Relax. Okay then. Um, I only have one news story this week. It's incredibly racist, so that's fun. Um, right. <laughs> um, so the Richard Tucker Music Foundation um, is a foundation that great that grants awards to young singers. Um, removed uh, a board member, David N. Tucker, uh, on Monday. I guess. Yeah, so last Monday, by the time you guys are listening to this, um, he's actually the son of um, the distinguished tenor uh, for whom the foundation is named um, because he posted some racist comments on a Black singer's Facebook page. They released a statement saying the Richard Tucker Music Foundation condemns the hurtful and offensive comments made by one of our board members, David Tucker. Um, The chairman... So the the son, you gotta go. Um, so actually, the singer was Julia Bullock. Um, some of you probably know her. She went to Eastman. Um, she's a soprano. Um, she shared a Washington Post story on her Facebook page um, that quoted that protesters in Portland, Oregon, um, had said that they had been detained by federal officers in unmarked vans. Incredibly illegal and terrifying. Did you the see way. the videos for that? Yes, I did. Girl, I, I don't. I, <gasps> No. There is no way the sky not finna crack open. You cannot tell any day now. (laughs) Any day now. now, We're gonna see a white horse coming. Like the sky is gonna you cannot that wow. And apparently they got soldiers in Chicago. Someone had to tell me. The kid I talked this morning, Mm his mom told me because I don't be what do I need the news for? I got enough to worry about. Um, yeah, so in Portland, in case y'all didn't know, um, federal officers have been kidnapping people and putting them into unmarked vans, not really answering questions about where they're taking people. Um, and Mr. Tucker commented, good, get rid of these thugs, and I don't care where you send them. They are a pox on our society. Our society is in a pox on our society. When are y'all gonna stop staying in this country? That's what I want to know. It must stop. <laughs> um first of all i don't care where you i don't care where you send them it's not for you like this has nothing to do with you <laughs> like, you are no authority on like it's, it's simply illegal and if y'all are out here protesting wearing masks and if somebody was rolling up to the mass protest kidnapping people and putting them in cars that have like are just regular people's cars and driving away not answering any questions do you know how much of an outrage it would be but like, because it's black people and people protesting for black lives it's a problem. Exactly. You don't think y'all realize how terrifying it is? You got freaking somebody who look like they they shuffling around kids to their soccer game, pulling up, 
You know how ridiculous it is that they went to Enterprise to rent vans? Um, doesn't stop there. It gets better. Um, he oh, so you're allowed to protest. Do people forget that? No. <laughs> I didn't forget that. Like, you're literally allowed to do... You're, you're yeah. allowed to protest. Yeah. Just hate black it's people. like written down... Y'all, y'all failed seventh grade history in the shows. Yeah. Read the Constitution. They even got songs about it. Um, and another comment he wrote, quote, about time someone tough will try to crush the mob before they destroy and kill more innocent people. Bravo to Trump to send in federal troops. It's just amazing to me how you're talking about killing innocent people when you got, like, this is what this whole thing is about. What's not clicking? (laughs) But you know what? I saw a tweet that, like, was probably the best thing I've seen in a while. It's like, People get it. Like white people get it. They just hate black people. That just say that. They there's they can they can see like, oh, you know, the police are killing innocent people. And it's like, oh, that's why black lives matter. And it's like, uh, y'all just hate black people. That's just all that's all it is. Yeah. It's a they be like they be like, Oh well, you know, they they be killing white people too. And it's like, so you're you should be mad about that though. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're okay with them killing your people, like, uh-huh. and we're not. Like, I saw another thing. Or reflection uh, on y'all. <laughs> I saw another thing, and it was like this: this cop was like, "Blue lives matter in this house, and da da da, and whatever." And hashtag Trump, hashtag Blue Lives Matter. And someone commented, they were like, "But what about nurses and doctors and lawyers and teachers and and grocery store clerks?" And they were like, yeah, but blue lives are under fire right now. And it's like, so you get it. The, yeah, the concept is not a lot. People, it's willful ignorance. At this yeah. point. Like, mm-hmm. Y'all just don't, y'all don't want to get it. Y'all hate black people. And some people will say so. And some people just refuse to say so. Just say it. It'll make you feel better, baby. You're a bigot. <laughs> so um, Russell Thomas, um, he's a black tenor. Um, he replied to uh, he replied in a comment uh, saying that the Richard Tucker Award, which is the highest award that the foundation gives, um, was only awarded to one black artist since it was first granted in 1978. Hmm. And then Odu commented back that he was quote pulling the race card is another convenient excuse to modify excellent standards of vocal artist artistry. To modify standards. And I, and I remember recently Titus Titus Underwood, he um he had that video come out. It's like a short little like profile on him, um and his work with the Nashville Symphony and, and how he came to be doing all that. And he was saying like in these conversations that we're having about diversity, like quality should not even be coming up. Like y'all always that's the first thing people always say. Well, what about the quality? 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 Like do you hear yourself? You hear black people should be uh, should be given access to these spaces, and you the first thing you say is, "Well, we might be sacrificing quality." You are racist. Like <laughs> 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 you really just have to reevaluate. Like that's that's ridiculous. It's like why are you just assuming that the fact that black people are going to be included, the quality is going to go down? That's this, these can't racist. be the same people I want to. S- Y'all would stop if y'all went to some of the to school with some of the people I went to school with. Y'all would stop questioning quality because not y'all that would be doing presentations at a PowerPoint. 
Now y'all will be doing music theory homework in the hallway 20 minutes before class starts talking about quality. Y'all can't be the same ones. Like, this is racism. Racism is this. Like, <laughs> just what, quality. what about the, when the quality goes down? Um, it don't matter how diverse the National Symphony wanted to be. It don't matter. They could want a thousand black people on stage. If Titus could not play the oboe, he simply would not be like he simply would not be there. Like, <laughs> like, he, he, he's blowing into the bell, the oboe, and it's not really making any sound. But you know, we he could come in. Like nobody is doing that. Exactly. Now he comes <laughs> to his first rehearsal with a bow and the freaking oh, the the English horn on his on his shoulder, talking about we ready, y'all. Right, the freaking bassoon in between his legs, bowing it like a cello. Like it's right with a, with a clarinet reed. There's nobody, even if there is no black people, no Latinx people, like nobody of color in the audition process, and nobody, and it's just all white people, and nobody's good enough. They will hire nobody. They will. They will simply. There was no white person good enough or remotely good enough. The, you know how like the the. Um, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, they had a viola vacancy for years. It simply wasn't good enough. Like, so it's not just like, oh, well, you know, they're not trying to give it to white people and, and X, Y, Z. Like, no, come on. Wow, what about the quality? Like, there's no, there's no conversation about quality in, like, in correlation with a specific race. Mm-hmm. You gotta be able to play no matter what color you are. And if you lost, uh, look it up. <laughs> like, because I saw that thing that Jasmine posted and I reposted it, and it was like that car meme where it's like uh, either going straight or you swerve to the side, and it's like educating white people and, and non black. Yeah. And then on the side, it was enjoying being black, and the car was swerving over there. I was like, that's me at this point. Like, even if you wanted to dissect what he said, Y'all still at fault. Like, put like you either racist or at fault. Me or, a check. Yeah, I feel like I should just come wrap this up. Actually, now the more the more that I think about, it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it, it's just so. Yeah, I feel like it's time you're to here. Run. You hear yeah. that? <laughs> Is this real get over here? I'm so I'm so so sorry. But or um, even if the you know what I will be. Call me a martyr, but if the if the Earth's crust just opened up and swallowed the United States of America, that could work too. <laughs> you, <gotta move> on. <laughs> you said what? So we gotta move on. <laughs> so what happened um, to him? Oh, they removed him from the board. Several people, um, including the, huh? Slap on the wrist. That's very good. No, I'm brand. <laughs> um the black opera well i'm wondering i don't know where she got a job or what um i know the the several people several organizations including the black opera alliance uh wrote they wrote an open letter calling for his removal um and yeah i don't know if he has a job to be fired from hopefully so Probably has uh, enough generational wealth to sustain him and his yeah. children and his children's children is to help um, raise that quality that only white people have. So I don't know. I'm gonna Google him because I don't know if he um, if he does have a job. Um, 
Because other than that, I mean, I guess that's what they can do. Remove him from the board, I guess. Like, I mean, this is people from natural colors. That's all I got to say. I'm just wondering, like, it's a, it's a bad thing to think, but I'm wondering if this was a year ago, would he? Maybe for this, he probably would still be removed from the board. But also, like, but I guess because it has speci- it was specifically to do with this situation. Mm. You know, like with the unrest going on. Yeah, that's true. But, but you can't uh, tell me, oh, girl from that opera, the trombone player. I don't, I don't think that she would have got it. She lost her job. This was last yeah, year. No, I don't think she would have either. Because it would have been like she did it on her free time. I'm like, ooh, racism on my on my free time. Let me do that instead of uh, doing vegan stuff. I'm like, my could do that. It's funny. I do regular things like read, with my dog. I'm not for indulging some good old racism on my free yeah, time. So- like it's like you think that people like that's a personality trait like that's like something inside of you that's not Mm -hmm. something you check at the door you realize that every interaction that she has with somebody at the austin symphony orchestra is colored with racism because she is a racist like (laughs) why y'all gotta make everything about y'all make it about color i'm like because okay I just, I mean, at this point, y'all can thank your great, 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 great me, Ma. It has nothing to do with me. So, um, intermission? <laughs> Beautiful transition. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> this week, um, we were into something completely different, but um, on The Read, which is a, a podcast we reference uh, quite often, they didn't post an episode this week. I try not to hyperventilate. And I was like, you know what, Katie, it's only one week. It's only one week, and they just have a break. And I got through it. Um, Kid Fury has been doing this thing at the end of the show where he talks about three things that has given him joy or happiness this week. And since, you know, sometimes we be doing Delaney and Katie, thought it'd be a nice little... Uh, Nice little breakup. I mean, it's not, um, it doesn't have to be music related. Um, but yeah, you want to start, Delaney? What are three things that give you joy or happiness? Not the, I don't like you. <laughs> this, I mean, are weeks even a thing anymore? Um, um, girl, I mean, I got Hulu. So, I don't really? I found Hulu to be quite useless. It's really different from Netflix. But also, I'm not really a TV show watcher, so I was literally just paying for it. I, I still pay for Netflix and never use it. I haven't used Netflix since, like, March. But, um, yeah. Uh, I got it because, well, my family got it, and I just asked my brother for the password because he begged for it. I don't know why he needed it. Probably because they have, I think Hulu has all the sports stuff on it. That may have been why he wanted it. Um, so he got so he got it. So I said, I'm gonna just chalk that up to something that quote unquote brought me joy this week because it's really actually a bad thing because now I'm not doing nothing but watching Hulu. So <laughs> I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like I've said this a lot. I've said, I'll say it again. I feel like we've over romanticized being overbooked, being busy. Like I am a champion of doing nothing. I think it's fantastic. I think. Yeah, but my life be on fire, and I'll be like, <laughs> 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 "Oh my god!" 
Ash, um, yeah, he's really like I'd love um, to have like some days where we just do nothing, nothing with this show or the affiliations that we. I mean, we've had a great time. It's been a a huge blessing. However, I see Delaney every day now, and not in a fun way. I mean, it's all fun, but not every day. Delaney's every day. No, because we had that Friday off. When in 1973? Yep. <laughs> yes. No, we had to remember that one Friday when we saw each other every day for like 11 days straight, except for that Friday. It was last Friday. We didn't oh. have a meeting last Friday. Oh, you're right. <clears throat> Did I see you yesterday? Probably. What was yesterday? Thursday? Or maybe not. No, we... I didn't see you yesterday. I was supposed to see you for this yesterday. Right. Um, that was my one thing my two things i oh um i'm at my grandma's house so it's actually soda over here and juice so period i've been drinking i'm sorry like i've been drinking more more water recently but my mom like refuses to buy anything other than water which like water is great however every now and then Mm -hmm. And especially because I'm not the only person that lives in my house. And, like, I told her, I was like, okay. She, she told me if I wanted something from the store, I got to go get it myself. She's not taking requests from me. And I said, okay, fine. I'm going to start the thing upstairs with all the stuff that you refuse to buy and that you don't want to eat or drink that I like. And it's going to be fine. And she was like, okay, fine. And start your own stuff. I buy one little thing and started for myself. You keeping it from the house and yeah, you selfish. And uh-uh, you, and you like, playing. <laughs> Nah, but 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 and you've been eating up all my stuff, but you can't get this downstairs. I'm like, but I I said that I was gonna make the thing you upstairs. Also encouraged me to do so. You said it was okay. Like, <laughs> so, how did you find out about it? Because I was, I mean, it, it, that's the thing. It's not a secret. I just kept it up <laughs> that people can't drink my stuff because I bought it for me. Not you on the couch with some rupee. <laughs> I already wonder where you got it from. Like you, it's the end of the day. You chilling with your little whatever in your room. Now you parading around. I'm not gonna not go outside of my room to get <laughs> my stuff just because, you know. Like that's the thing. It's not a secret. Mm-hmm. You like I bought stuff that if it's something that nobody else likes, I'll keep it in the kitchen. But if I bought something for me that nobody else really like, sometimes people just be eating stuff out of curiosity. You know, they eat, they eat stuff because like they just see it and like, oh, are yeah. you seeing this? Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm not gonna buy like I just I'm one person, so it was like a little six pack of you know like there are four people in my house, two oh, of yeah. them are men. <laughs> so, yeah, so you would have got none actually. I would have gotten zero ruby, and it's like <laughs> so. Um, yeah, but I'm over here in my grandma's house at least <laughs> at least eight liters of soda over here. My grandma, she told me that <laughs> When I, I tell you about that one time, I came over here, I'm like, grandma, you have 18 liters of soda in your house. You were the you told only me one. That I still don't believe you. Katie, she had nine of those two liter soda things. Like, you were the only person that lives here. <laughs> she want her stuff, period. 18 liters of soda. <laughs> um, and then what's my third, my third thing? Oh, I went through, I had to do this thing for this summer class, um, and it was, like, about Black fashion in the 60s and 70s. My grandma and her father, I guess, really into pictures, so she has a ton of pictures in here. So I went through, 
I think I went through seven of her photo albums. She has a lot more, but I went through seven of them, and they have pictures ranging from the 1930s to the 90s, and that was really cool to see. Um, a lot of people I don't know, but yeah. Cool. It gives me joy. Okay, this week. Your boo came over. You said what? Said your boo came over, y'all. You see how the lady just be lying. Anyways, what gave me joy this week? I was teaching this a little girl. She's so cute. She's like six or seven, and she I, her, she had her first lesson last week, but she forgot her sponge. So this week she had her sponge, and I have a I have a way that I do I teach kids how to get into playing position. And when when she slid that end button over her ear, and that thing locked in place, she looked so good. And I was like, oh my god, like she looked so good and she learned the ant song and it was just like so cute i love teaching little kids an ant song because they it's just so freaking freaking cute and um that gave me a lot of joy like wow and i feel like for the most part kids have been super attentive um on these zoom calls except for my once you know exactly what i'm talking about you remember tt tt roadie that um they've been you said what who had the acrylics? I was like, I can't even say her name. I was like, have you have you lost your mind? I did say that to her. Because sometimes it's got to talk to her like that. I'm like, so have you lost your mind? <laughs> She's like, miss, what? Um, so You're showing up in your face with the acrylics. <laughs> I was like, so how do you expect? Show me how. <laughs> and then it'd be looking like gang signs. I'm like, so you look ridiculous. But miss, that, I do, yeah, we need some break from her. She cute though. Um, second thing that gave me joy is uh, my grandma hates going out with me and my cousin Monica because it's just a roast session. Monica, mind you, like I'm a child. Monica is freaking sixteen, but we roast her the back and forth, and but we always <laughs> laughing in between. And my grandma low-key think she hates it so we were coming but we know she likes it because we just laughing and loud and she was like can y'all y'all understand y'all are in public right we went to ikea and she was like y'all understand that y'all are in public because we just freaking kiki so we came back and there's our back we have a, a small back porch there's a chair and sometimes she likes to sit out there so when we came back she sat down and she was <laughs> she was like uh we were going inside we're like grandma you're not coming she's like nah i need a break <laughs> oh y'all have annoyed me <laughs> in the <laughs> not her pain brings you joy <laughs> not it being in the top three things as well <laughs> it was so funny but i mean i guess it's all it comes to, I, like i've been back home for the past month or so and i've really been enjoying spending time with my grandmother it's been she's very trifling um but it was hilarious. That was funny. And a third thing this week? This week was a blur. I'm not even gonna lie. Oh, I had a great week with my mom last weekend. I know so it was like I know it's like this week or whatever, but oh no, a week from yup, period. Mm-hmm. So I had a great time with my mom. My mom has cats now. And I realized I'm not a pet person. Like I thought I was, but my mom be like, So what what are you you not gonna play? I'm just like but, they kinda just be there. But pet? 
it depends. I feel like they have, first of all, it depends on the type of pet and then also the different personalities. Pets are so, so different. I feel like, like, I don't know, they can have such different personalities. That's true. My mom has two, like, kittens from the same litter. And she's like, one's name is Frankie and the other one's name is Izzy. And Frankie's freaking, like, she really, she does too much. If too much was a cat, it would be that. I was, like, just, oh, like, relax. You know what I'm saying? And my mom said, like, Katie, she's a kitten. Katie, she's a kitten. I don't care. She does too much. But the other cat is like mad chill. So I guess. But like, I just realized, like, I'm cat dog. Like, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I can find my cat. But even my turtle, I remember I, get, I had a turtle in college. I gave it away, you know? Sorry. I well, that's not even, that doesn't mean, I mean, it counts. It's a pet. But like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll see. Because I do want a dog. But like, I realize the way my mom like, interacts with her, her cats and stuff, I'm kind of like, and also, you could look up the breed. Different breeds, they tend to have, some of them have similarities in personality. Like, golden retrievers are very, like, in your face. They want to be with you and whatever. Skipper Key, which is what my dog Black was, they're very independent. Oh, shout out to a, I used to love, <laughs> he was so nosy. I used to love that. We couldn't do nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very, like, hard. independent, like. But they also very like protect like they have you can if you Google any dog breed like it'll show you what their mm-hmm. their common personality traits are. Um, Do you know yeah. what she is? You said she's a mutt. You don't know, right? Yeah, she well, she definitely is a black lab mixed with something else. Oh, okay. Yeah, she looks pretty normal. She like I don't know what she she would be mixed with something very similar to that mm-hmm. because she doesn't look like she just looks like a regular dog to me. Like, yeah, she don't have like any yeah. distinct features except for like that lip. Oh well, yeah, she has a pink bottom lip. Like her tongue sticking out. Yeah. Oh, maybe I can get me a little dog or something. I don't know. Yeah, like she, like she's very. She, she could look and be a comfort animal, but some people that she knows, cause she, she don't know you. Like, well, she don't. She doesn't just like be up on people that she don't know like to bark at them like if somebody comes in the house she's not gonna bark at you she's gonna sniff you and then she gonna mind her own business <laughs> but <laughs> um but that's another thing that happened this week that i forgot it was my grandma's birthday at t- exactly a week to today oh yeah and, and that's why yeah 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 i remember i remember she was wearing um i'm not to not to cut you off but we did meet last friday yes because we had something with jasmine and so because yeah, I see the link every day that God gives, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I used to have like we just used to send memes and stuff back and forth, we did. and now it'd be like contracts and stuff. And it's like it's it's cute or whatever, but like I would just love to see a, a, a Twitter thread in my in my inbox in my messages every once in a while instead of. Right, that reminds me. We got two business things I gotta ask you about after this, but um, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful, but like. The beginning, of, I would feel like the beginning of quarantine, I was doing literally nothing. So it's like it has been like an interesting shift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we thank mm-hmm. God. Like, we not complain too much because now he gonna be like, I heard you had something to say about the stuff I was giving y'all. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but yeah, she she was wearing a, a, a cheetah print, like a flowy. Uh, Shirt that I got her for her birthday I last that. year. She looked bomb. Cheetah print mask on. <laughs> Period. Period. I'm on I remember. I remember being at the store and I saw that. I was like, that looks exactly like something my grandma wore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Period. She came out new when she was five too. Nah, not the way she walked. 
<laughs> you know what gave me joy? <laughs> like a small thing. I was on FaceTime with you. And you showed <laughs> your grandma was outside. And <laughs> doing absolutely nothing. And the minute I said, yep, she loves you up to nothing, at the same minute, because I, I could tell she's not doing nothing. The same minute I said that, she put her hand on her hip. And I'm like, yo, that's a universal sign. Like, I ain't out here for nothing. I'm just out here looking at the neighborhood. Yo, it was like a black grandma. You know that, <laughs> that black grandma pose when they on the porch with the hand on the hip? <laughs> that's what she was, she was out there doing. <laughs> I, was, I was just excited and grateful to see that moment because it was hilarious. At the minute, just the hand, looking at nothing. What are you looking at? <laughs> Oh, Chile. But yeah, period. That was fun. Nice little laugh. Yeah. Um, all right, so now we're going into the topic. Just so y'all know, this is a recording. We when we did the live show, we put the recording up. We did that panel in um in Tennessee. We put the co- we put that uh recording up. So um this is as y'all have y'all has probably seen what that wasn't even a sentence. As y'all have probably seen, if you follow us on Instagram, then um, I said, I said, like, F y'all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I like to merge my words together. It was ridiculous. You know, people can't never understand what I'm saying. My own grandma be like, I don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> it's low-key rude, but okay. Um, on our Instagram, we've been doing some sessions for Yellow National at home. Um, by the time this comes out, we'll have one more session left tomorrow. It- y'all listen to this on monday um but we're gonna be releasing the recordings um as episodes so that y'all who miss it and don't follow us on instagram um and have not heard about it can't hear it so this is gonna be our first session um doing the pathways um series which is talking about career and college education pathways with different artists this is us talking to kenneth brown and jacqueline rodriguez Hey everyone, how's it going? Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, so, hi all. We are here to welcome you today to Yola National and uh, more specifically to the Pathway Exploration Series. I am super honored uh, to be here with this fabulous cast of people. Um, so, one second. Make sure they're all set up technologically here. Um, So just to give you all a sense of what we're doing here, um, Pathway Explorations is an opportunity for folks to hear from people in various career pathways in music, uh, but also to hear a little bit about uh, identity and how identity intersects with the work that we do as classical musicians, as administrators, et cetera. So I'm here to just introduce you to uh, our hosts and our panelists. Our hosts are from Classically Black Podcast, which is uh, at least one of my favorites. Uh, I wanna say welcome to Delaney Harris and to Katie Brown who have put that show together. Thank you both for being here today. Uh, And also to our our host panelists, uh, Kenneth Brown and Jacqueline Rodriguez. Wanna thank you two for being here as well. Uh, I'm gonna pass it over to you two and uh, we'll be monitoring the chat. If you all have any questions, please feel free to plug that in. Same thing goes for YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, please feel free to use the chat function uh, to ask any questions. And we'll have about 10 to 15 minutes at the end 
uh, to answer some of those for you all. I'll pass it on over. Take it over, Delaney and Katie. All right. Hey, y'all. I'm Delaney. I'm a bassist and an alumna of Yola, uh, wrapping up a degree in double bass performance from the Eastman School. And it's Katie. I'm a violist, recent graduate of the Eastman School of Music, where I got a master's degree in viola performance, music education, and I'm currently a fellow with the Memphis Symphony Orchestra, and we're the hosts of Classically Black Podcast. Where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession. With trap beats playing in the background. <laughs> okay, so you may be wondering how a little black girl from Inglewood, California, who loves pop rides and a baby, ended up at the Eastman School or how a black girl from Chicago who started playing viola late and equally loves Cardi B and Head Skywalker ended up at the Eastman School of Music. <laughs> but the reality is that we leaned into the ways that our black intersected with classical music during our college experience. And after noticing a lack of community among black, black classical musicians in our environment, we created Classically Black Podcast. Where we gas up black classical musicians, we highlight black composers, Dan Tchaikovsky, and we talk about issues pertaining to Black classical musicians. We're so excited to be here today with Jackie and Kenneth to discuss how they incorporate aspects of, our, of their culture into their artistic pursuits as college students. All right, so we're kind of going to go in chronological order um, and get, we're going to go from where y'all started to where you are now. So first, uh, Jackie and Kenneth, whoever wants to go first, can you start off by telling us where you're from um, and your background and how you got into music? Um, I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> um, so I born and raised in South Los Angeles um, and my music career actually started at um, my elementary school when I um, wanted to join choir and we sing um like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer like all the little you know all the little <laughs> jams and um after that my music teacher realized that like I really had a um I had something special for music and she, that was right when um uh, Yola was starting back in like 2009 2008 maybe um and so she recommended Yola, um, she recommended Yola, and after a year of, like, being in choir, I, I joined Yola, and um, going through musicianship, going through um, all of the process that took to get to an instrument at Yola, I ended up choosing the cello. My mom was so stuck on me choosing the violin, but I was like, no, that is not the instrument for me, <laughs> and um, I was, um, I always knew that I wanted to do, do cello, like once they introduced all the instruments to us um, after we were done with musicianship. But um, I was like, okay, she, she didn't want me to do, choose cello because she's like, no, it's too big. It's going to take up too much space in our little apartment. But um, I was like, okay, I'm going to choose the flute, like compromise. Like I'm not going to choose violin or cello. But after uh, I, I had began like, even before classes started for flute, I was like, no, mom, mom, mom I, I'm, I don't actually want to do flute. I want to do cello. Please, can we like switch to cello? And um, we talked to the program director and luckily they still had a spot. Um, they had a girl who was in the cello class who wanted to do flute. And I was like, so we just did the switcheroo and um, I started playing cello and then 
10 years later, I graduate. Um, I just graduated last year um, from Yola. And through that whole journey at being, being at Yola and being able to attend all of these like different music festivals like Yola National and being a part of, I don't know, just all of these different programs and knowing all of these different students who had the same passion for music. And not only that, but had like, they were also coming from nonprofits. Um, that's kind of where I knew my like field of work wanted to be. I, I mean, I love music and I also admire all the people who are um, like following that path of becoming professional musicians. And I, as much as I wanted to do that, I felt like my place was, was a lot better being a facilitator. So being that bridge for the students who were um, coming from these places that were, that didn't have as many resources or, and whatnot. And like helping them become those professional musicians and helping them envision themselves as those people. Um, and yeah, so I started uh, the ethnomusicology program at UCLA, um, specifically their public ethnomusicology program. Um, and at UCLA, I'm doing, um, well, ethnomusicology is essentially like the study of all world music. So. Um, my first quarter at UCLA, I did music of Persia, um, and I've been doing music of Mexico, which is something I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really interested in. And, but with public ethnomusicology is essentially like building the road to become an arts administrator and, and a music education administrator. So yeah, it's, it's been fun and interesting. So Kenneth, the mic is all yours. <laughs> Thank you so much there, um, Jackie. Um, so my musical journey, it started as young as two or four, just coming over to my grandmother's house and playing on the piano. I didn't realize, I did like many things. So I did sports um, as well, and I did other things too. But when I started around eight or nine years old, that's when I started uh, playing on the trumpet. and. The reason why I picked the trumpet is because during my third grade class, we read this book called Trumpet of the Swan, if you heard of the book. But as well for a deeper context, I wanted to play trumpet because it allows me to give me, to amplify my voice, um, not just for myself, but for others, my family, my friends, the people who I play for. So I started at this program called the Southeast uh, Symphony Association. And during my second year there, um, I had really the honor and the privilege of studying with um, the father, Kamasi Washington, uh, Mr. Ricky Washington. I'm not sure if he's out there, but um, I hope you're watching this, Mr. Washington. Um, then in 2012, um, I joined ICOLA under the direction of Charles Dickerson, and my godfather recommended me to do it. And that's when I met Delaney about a year later. <laughs> And really, um, ICOLA, um, like Yola, is a great program. Um, Mr. Charles Dickerson is also a great leader as well. And really through ICOLA, I had many opportunities to play at Dizzy Hall about, I think 10 times. I lost count around like the eight or nine mark, 
But I would say, let's say 10 times as a baseline. I think. Y'all out here popping. Y'all are here. You know, it's just going too fast for me. Besides like, unrelatable, but go ahead. <laughs> besides that, uh, playing in front of government officials as well and playing in front of many celebrities as well as playing um, at Dorothy Channel Pavilion, which is like right across the street. Um, but throughout my school experience, my grade school experience, um, my elementary school nor my middle school didn't have music programs. So Sasa and Iceola were there as a supplement, as a substitute. During my high school years, um, I went to Bishop Montgomery High School during my ninth grade year. Then I transferred over to the Academy of Music and Performing Arts at Hamilton High School. And I graduated in 2018, which is two years ago. And now I'm currently a rising junior at Morris College as a music performance major with an emphasis in trumpet. And I'm, I'm part of me ensemble, so I'm a part of their marching band, which is known as the House of Funk. I'm a part of their jazz band, and I'm a, as well as part of their symphonic band. I'm also in a band outside of that um, with Akil Dawood, who's the son of this famous R&B duo called Kendra and the Family So We've been playing at at least four shows before uh, COVID hit. So yeah, and I'm studying with, um, I'm not sure many people have heard of him, but I would definitely look him up. I'm definitely studying with a trumpet teacher named Melvin Jones, who's a great trumpet player. It is on right, much respect to Mr. Jones, as well as much respect to uh, Dr. Uzi Brown, who's the head of the department at Morehouse College. So really um, going to Morehouse particularly has been one of the best decisions of my life. I just want to. I just want to jump in. Can you tell us what type of school Morehouse is? That's very Period. important. What, what so, type? Morehouse College is an HBCU as well as a liberal arts school. Ooh, and HBCU stands for Historically Black College or University. Um, yeah, but I think I mean I just want to point that out because I feel like especially in this conversation about, um, especially in classical music spaces and in institutions like LA Phil, like Yola, historically Black colleges are not in the conversation because um, I mean the culture, not even just the musical culture, but the culture period is so is different at HBCUs and it's very rich. Um, and I just, I'm so happy to have both of you here and I'm happy to have, you know, both of you rep representing uh, something, you know, that may not be at the forefront of the conversation of classical music, historically black colleges okay, and ethnic musicology. <laughs> no, go ahead. I something too, real quick. Um, like athletes and really black musicians alike, um, I think going to HBCU could really shift the culture, especially in times like these mm -hmm. right now. So yeah, I just wanted, I wanted to go to HBCU, particularly Morehouse, um, because really my father graduated about 30 years ago, um, as well as studying with a Pacific teacher, but also representing my family, um, my people as in, you know, African-Americans. As well as being champ, as well as being a champion for them, not as like the champion, but like the many champions, like we are, the black kings and queens. Here you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I know we we alluded to it just a little bit, but can you just tell us a little bit more about your musical environment? What did it look like before college, especially in regards to seriousness and rigor? Uh, Jackie, you go first. Okay. Um, at first, like being a 10 year old, I like I liked playing music, but I didn't know um, like 
to the extent of where it would take me or what would happen. I think also being a first gen college student and just being a first generation immigrant in, in general is that's also another thing like my parents were very no you have to get a practical job and you have to you have to make sure that you're getting enough so that you can not stay in the same situation as us when you're older and so growing up with that mentality I was like no music isn't a practical job music isn't a practical job and um that mindset definitely started to change when I was getting to high school and saw all the different like being a part of all the different opportunities um like we took a yola cal tour we did super bowl we did um being a part of the symposium and being a part of all of these different conversations about music education and all the different um like routes you can take as a musician and as a as an educator i was definitely that's definitely when i started taking it more seriously and starting applying myself more and started being more disciplined with my with my music studies and um, I didn't have my first private lesson until I was in sophomore year of high school or ending of sophomore year in high school and that's because I I started looking for things myself I, I started a fellowship um, or I was one of the first fellows at the Colburn School of Music for Fortissima Fellowship um, founded by Jasmin Morales um, I, I love you, Hasmin. Uh, I don't know if you're watching this, but <laughs> um, she was definitely one of the first to help me envision myself as something more than just um, more than just a musician. You know, there's it's such a bigger role, and um, being a woman of color, being um, first gen, you know, it's not something that you hear all the time. And um, there are definitely people in my life that I've met and. Giovanna Clayton, she's a part of the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra and um, she's a Latina cellist. And when I first met her, it was just like, it was so eye-opening. And um, yeah, that's those were moments in my life where I definitely started believing that I could do it and that I had a place in this very large and like vast, um, like, the world of classical music, you know, and it's it it was very scary and um, just thinking like, what if I don't make it? But it's it's finding different ways to get to the place that I want to be, and that's definitely being the facilitator, being arts administration, and because all of those behind the scenes jobs are the ones that make those places for other people possible, and. Um, they're sometimes overlooked and sometimes it's like, oh, if you're not a professional musician, that's it, you can't make it. But there's so many different routes and ways that you can still achieve what you want and still help other people while still being in that environment of classical music and just music in general. Um, but yeah, after high school, um, it was kind of like applying to colleges. It was like, well, I don't really know what else I want to do other than just like music um, because it had already been more than half of my life. I had already been doing music and um, yeah, that was a tough conversation having with my parents. Like, so I'm going to, um, you know, I'm try to be uh, go into music. And I still think that that can be a hard, 
conversation with people who aren't a part of that world and who aren't um or who just haven't explored the world of music and the world of classical music um because they're like oh what do you want to what do you want to do with that like ethnomusicology what is that but um I definitely think that just having that conversation is so much already and um they're like oh you're not doing like chemistry or you're not doing like pre-med I was like no I'm I'm doing ethno and and I'm really proud and there's only eight of us um incoming freshmen there were only eight ethnomusicology majors and I wear that with like so much pride and joy (laughs) um but yeah it's been quite the journey with that and dealing with all the other um all the other like barriers of yeah being first gen but I mean it's happening and I'm, I'm happy to be in this place and helping it helping making that way for other people too. Yeah, I think a lot of people can resonate with that. Your parents are like, so lawyer, right? And it's like, you, (laughs) I think you, especially like I resonate with you. I'm not necessarily first gen, but my, my family was born in Jamaica. And it's like, I spent a lot of my time thinking I was gonna be a dentist. You know, but you when you get into music, you realize there's so much stuff. It's not just being an orchestral musician. And certainly I'm a little bit on that path, but there, there's so much, I mean, we have a podcast, you know what I'm saying? Like there's so much you could do with classical music and people who are outside of that field just don't really understand that. So it's about, especially like young people, like really doubling down and be like, no, this is what I want to do because you're the only one who's the expert at that. You, you go to rehearsals and you see people have podcasts and you see people are starting their own organizations. Like, you know that you are an expert in classical music from studying it all these years. So, uh, you know, double down at that, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my sorority sisters and she was like, I thought you were a starving artist. And it's like, who told you that? <laughs> you know, so I, I really resonate with that. And I'm sure a lot of people here resonate with that as well. Yeah, I think especially like, it just goes to show you just gotta have like that that confidence in yourself to, to mm-hmm. be like I know what I'm doing because like I remember right. one thing Katie told me one of her sorority sisters was like you still playing the viola I thought you took that after school she's like <laughs> <laughs> my career like you know so, like, people from the outside looking in it's like what y'all doing over there but like you know that you know the, the stuff that we do as musicians it certainly makes a difference and I mean to to even be on that path like to be cognizant of that um of like how your identity is going to fit into your college experience before you get there it's something that I I certainly didn't have I mean I didn't think about how I was Mm -hmm. going to how who I was um was going to interact with the school I was going to so like for you Kenneth to be like I want to go to an HBCU um because I want to be you know a champion of black music and, and for uh for black musicians and then for you Jackie to to um, be like, I want to study ethnomusicology, which I'm not going to sit here and act like I knew what ethnomusicology was in high school. <laughs> I, mean, I, took, I took a little class or something to undergrad, but that, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, I got to Eastman and I was like, oh, okay, okay. But like, okay. before that. <laughs> right, like before college? Oh, no. Like, period. Go yes. ahead then. I was like. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, I, I want to ask Kenneth, uh, I know that you both kind of touched on this, but like, could you tell us a little bit more about that that kind of transition high school to college like when did you know that you wanted to study music and um and 
how did you sort of deal with that? If you had any pushback or any uh, complications in terms of like parents or, or friends who didn't necessarily understand why you wanted to do what you wanted to do or, or, or where you wanted to go? Um, my parents were really open for me staying music because the they, saw, they kind of <laughs> saw this since I was little. Mm -hmm. so as, as much as between the ages of four to eight. Come on, prodigy. My mom always right. that I used to say as a toddler, I always wanted to play music in order to make people happy. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of pushback, it wasn't pushback from my parents nor my family members. It was sort of, for me, it was self-doubt. Because it was like, okay, am I good enough, you know, to do this? And really, at, um, at Hamilton, there are, there are like a lot of musicians, there are a lot of performing artists, aspiring performing artists that are just that good, you know, and you're surrounded, you know, by that environment. And it, it really, it was um, during that time transitioning between a Catholic school to performing arts school, it was kind of hard for me musically and, phys and uh, as well as physically to fit in, but I fit in right on time. Um, to be honest, and I really thrived in that environment a lot, even though there were, you know, trials and tribulations along the way during those three years I was at Hamilton. But once I got from there to Morehouse, it wasn't musically, it was a, it was a, it was a great shift. But in terms of a cultural shift from West Coast to East Coast, from majority to HBCU, it was, um, it was really a troublesome and yet gruesome transition because I started my educational experience at Mars through a summer program um, a semester prior before I actually started my freshman year. So I was still acclimated with the campus, but you know, between the March of band rehearsals during that first semester and really just classes, because I was taking, I think 16 or 17 credit hours during that time. Um, it was um it was like a, it was a huge culture shock for me. So once I got the whole game down by my second semester, you know, everything started to turn around and my GPA, you know, kept increasing. I became more confident in myself and my abilities, as well as me making Dean's List this semester. Thank God. Oh, shoot. Mm -hmm. I didn't know he was around. But <laughs> right, embarrassed me. Fine. Right. Embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to flex on y'all. I really don't. <laughs> nah, flex, period. I'm just saying, like, Kevin Garnett always said anything's possible. That's really true. Mm -hmm. um, but as well, like if you, let's say, if you, let's say if I talk to my 16 year old self or let's say my, even some, let's say like my younger self, like if I told him those exact things, he would sort of believe me, but he would be skeptical about it, but he'll be like, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, anything's possible and God is good. And you just got to put the work in. No matter what, just put the work in. I mean, yeah, you said like, am I good enough? I feel like that's a, a very dangerous question for us. I think a lot of us ask ourselves that in classical music. Classical music can get very dangerous mentally if you let it. And that's a question I ask myself all the time. But that thing about hard work, like period, like it doesn't matter. It's as cliche as it sounds. Honest, all you gotta do is be consistent and work hard. Like I would not a couple Two years ago, I would not tell y'all be anybody's fellow at anybody's orchestra, but I kept, <laughs> I kept working on those excerpts. I kept applying. I kept, and it wasn't easy, of course, because like a whole bunch of no's will get to you. 
but you just gotta like hard work that's not a cliche that is not just something people say like that is a real thing so mm-hmm. of course you're good enough and you probably better than a whole bunch of other people you think that are better than you <laughs> and and it also like it also, it also what also goes into that is um i guess like i said kind of going kind of exploring your options you know like i'm certainly not doing what I'm doing right now is not what I expected to be doing, you know, when I was a freshman at Eastman. Um, I certainly am not going to leave Eastman wanting to do the same thing that I came there wanting to do. Um, and I think it's it's amazing for uh, young, I know that we have like Yellow National Festival students in the audience and stuff. It's, it's amazing for, for y'all to get an opportunity to see these paths kind of before you have to make a decision because like right now, you in high school, you ain't got no bills, probably. Like you, you oh my god, it out. Enjoy. like what a life. Remember, life. remember pre-bill life? Like no, I don't because I've been here so long. It's <laughs> it's real ghetto out here. <laughs> like, you know, you really have that, you have that freedom. I mean, I'm still I'm acting like I'm like I'm old and depressed. Right, I'm, I'm 21. Like just so thank <laughs> Like I'm really not that old. Like I have bills, but not as many bills as I could have. But it's very, you know, once you, once you kind of get to where like adulthood is is closing on you, I think it's 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 really easy for us, especially in classical music, because we're in a constant state of learning and getting better. And okay, how can I make that better? And and you literally go to a room every week for a professor to tell you every how you can do everything better that you just spent a week working on. Like mad weird. Who else does know? that? Like you literally are doing that, so it's not really a, an environment that's conducive to you. Um, you know, exploring things or like uh, being really like secure in yourself. So I think it's, it's really important to take, you know, this time to step back and be like, yo, I have the time, you know, and I have, um, I have options and I can, you know, explore what I want to do. And, and that's really something that's important in high school and also in college because you have opportunities in college that you never going you know have again you know there's so much career development and professional development um that's accessible um in college but yeah i mean y'all are popping so y'all know that but yeah <laughs> um there's also self-realization when people are telling you you're, bec- you're on the way to becoming great or you're a professional let's say bass player or violist or french hornist i you play French horn, right, Jackie? Cello. <laughs> Cello. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> when, you know, when some of your mentors um, that you had growing up were telling you that you're all right, you're good, you're a good trumpet player, you're good this and that, um, enjoy it. Like, don't let it feed your ego, but use it as a self-realization. Like, for me, I remember my teacher, he gave me the Riazigur Trumper Concerto the first movement, which is like one of the hardest movements, well, all three of them are hard. Um, as my as my jury for this semester, it felt like a long marathon, but you know, it takes just patience and discipline to just master things. And I didn't realize I would be able to play this. I was like, I'm not really sure if I could play this or not, but I nailed it down <laughs> for it. But yeah, just. Like I said, put put in the work. Just put in the work. It's like it's so easy to see the distance, like how how much time something could take, or like feeling like it's never ending. You know, like 
it, it's really hard to see progress when you're currently making progress. Like, how can you see how much you've gone through and how much you've you've grown from the point that you started when you're currently going through that? And sometimes I think that's that's something I struggle with as a musician. Like, I feel like I'm never getting better, but um, like you said, like kind of that I you never thought you would be able to play the piece, but at the end of the day, like you you put in the work, you did it, and um, you we only realize how much we've we've gone through until like how we've how we've how much we've gone through, but also like we realize how much we've endured once that all of all of that's already happened, you know once we're finally playing our piece and even then even after we're like okay this is the final time this is our jury and um or this is our concert even then you're like i could have played that note better i could have played this part better there's never there's never i think as musicians we're never actually satisfied with <laughs> what we do but i think that's just a part of it you know um because if we were always just satisfied with what we did um i mean there wouldn't ever be room for growth and there wouldn't ever be um that room for like I, I i can still be a better musician tomorrow and i it just keeps us hungry you know for just music and art making um delaney we kind of talked around the next one so i'm gonna skip the okay um how did your musical environment shift when you went to school i know kenneth you alluded to this a little bit because you were in marching band Listen, I'll be watching, I'll be watching HBC marching bands like, that ain't no joke. You know, I'll keep it with Jackson State and Alcorn and maybe, so, but, and also like Jackie, like how did, how did your environment shift when you went to school? Oh, it was a complete 180. I started, I mean, I'd been doing classical music for 10 plus years and then arriving at um, UCLA with ethnomusicology, I all of a sudden had like 30 different options of classes to take from music all over the world and um there were instruments i'd never even seen before like i took persian sitar and um people are like oh you mean sitar i'm like no setar like s-e-t-a-r and it's just, yeah it's this little like i don't have the instrument with me because we have to return them but um yeah the the professor was really amazing and it was a small intimate class with like four students and we were all just like trying to mess around with this new instrument that we had never touched before um and just being and just like not only playing the instruments but like knowing how music exists in different parts of the world and how it's not it doesn't have the same standards it doesn't have the same rules but it's all the same it's all under the same concept i guess like um we would we would sing when we would play and um we all had to sit on the ground and it was definitely different i i had just i also started playing mariachi music and um son harocho which was something i always knew i wanted to try but i didn't actually get to try until i got to to ucla and it was it was definitely a shift because in classical music you know we have everything written on the page and everything that we're supposed to do and everything that um, the composer wants us to, to, to do is on the page and like all these other different music, like types of music and different type of um, instruments. It's kind of like 
here's the instrument and there are some rules, but you can also just improvise. And that was definitely like a harder thing for me to do. And it still is. Um, I've never like really had an experience with improvising or just going things off of ear. Um, and that's definitely enhanced like my musical experience, just realizing that not everything always is, is, is going to be written and not everything is going to have a rule book and it's just going to be like whatever you feel sometimes it's just what you're going to play <laughs> yeah it's been it's been really fun yeah. well you better than me because improvising oh, I, no, can't, yeah. I know kenneth be doing that i i can't improvise i'm a one-trick pony i need notes on a page <laughs> on a page perfect per okay <laughs> specifically notes because the little squiggly thing with the yeah specifically notes on a page Preferably the key of C <laughs> to A. Right, don't give me C no lead e. sheet. I, I don't need none of that. <laughs> no lead sheets. Um, yeah, but Kenneth, could you also speak to that? Your like how your um, musical environment changed. We would love to hear about you know your experience with the marching band and all that. Um, I'm gonna try to build up to it because I've I've just been a part of like so many musical environments <laughs> where it's still point I need to talk about them because they're just they're all crucial to my development. So when I was with Sessa under uh, Ricky Washington, um, he basically, he got me into the world of jazz. So really, like, he gave me this, this like, known jazz head to, like, many jazzers. I called Joyce Spinner Clifford Brown, and it just kind of started from there. I know my dad, he got me into Miles Davis before I even picked up the trumpet. And my uncle and my grandfather, they had, like, huge record collections. And I would just look at the cover of the records just for fun. Um, when I got to high school at Hamilton specifically, I was in the jazz department, but I was also a part of the wind ensemble as well. Um, and really, um, as a whole, those are really two great environments because you're surrounded by people that are just really serious about the craft. Even though some people don't want to become professional musicians, they're always serious about this because it's like, I got nothing else to do. Um, when I got to Morehouse under the March band, under the direction of uh, Dr. Chatty Hughes, shout out to Dr. Hughes. Um, it was different for me because I never really understood or even really got a chance to even study the HBCU March band style, the, the show style. Like the March bands you see out here, let's say like a USC, they're like, they're core style March band, uh, but with, HBCU March Advance, it's a lot different. It's a lot different environment. So really during that time, during those times, I get the, I got a chance to travel to Chicago, uh, playing the first uh, Black College Football Hall of Fame classic, um, as well as meeting new people and really um, playing the HBCU style of music, which is playing songs that are known to like the human ear that are popular right now. Like we will be playing funk, we'll be playing trap music, well, I mean, we'll even be playing classics. Um, and that's just huge. Um, and really that experience um, from beforehand to there. So like playing at church around nine years old, uh, Mr. Washington, Isiola, Hamilton, like those experiences helped me with that experience. And now I'm thriving that experience on my own. Oh, as well as um, right now in quarantine, I'm just creating uh, content and covers of other songs 
as well as um, going to social distance jam sessions. I know I had a social distancing concert. My mom always calls it the front yard group concert, so I'm going to stick with it. Um, I had that about 10 days ago. Now I'm hosting another one this Saturday. So it, I'm part, um, it's just cool to be a part of many different musical environments under many different genres of music. And I think the more, the more you make yourself flexible and make yourself known in those type of styles, like if you have knowledge of that and you have playing experience of that, the better off, you know, you'll be instead of being, you know, let's say the one trick pony, let's say you can't thrive in one, but you could thrive, you could thrive in all. You get like, you can't necessarily be a master of all, but you could, but you could be really proficient in all the genres if you want to. Mm -hmm. And it's really good to do that. So that's yeah. why all, like the young musicians out there, don't be, don't be so boxed into one style, like explore, just explore. Yeah. I also think the culture of classical music really it kind of encourages that in a way. Like I feel like classical music kind of separates itself as high yeah. art and it doesn't really encourage collaboration or crossover between other genres when in reality there's so much crossover to be done. Mm -hmm. And so it 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 kind of makes people feel like, you know, they're they're neglecting classical music or they're not honing in on those skills when in reality, like it takes an incredible amount of technique and finesse to play other genres of music as well, which will help you. Um, when you're uh, studying classical music. So I feel like in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's good to think about how classical music connects with other things. Um, and I mean, that that's something that we like, we try to do with classical black as well. Like we bring a lot of other um, uh, genres in. I know we did a, I forget an episode, we have 90 episodes out, so yeah, it's a lot going on, but an episode <laughs> that, that we, we talked about HBCU bands, um, and we talk, we know, we talk about rap music, and we talk about all kinds of, um, all kinds of different stuff, so yeah, it's really nice to, to hear that y'all are both, like, branching out. Um, yeah, so how about We'll probably take questions after this one. Yeah, I was going to say. This question. Mm -hmm. um, we just want to know, like, you guys are both in your college experience right now, but um, having that experience of branching out and, and studying at HBCU, studying ethnomusicology, um, has your career trajectory or your aspirations in the music industry changed going forward? Oh, okay. I'll start or do you want to go? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it definitely switched around in high school. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm a um, rising sophomore. So um, I mean, that, that could still change. But in high school, I was definitely like, oh, maybe I'll become a professional musician. And then sometimes I was like, I don't want to do music at all. But then it was always that little feeling inside. It was just like, no, I actually do want to do music. And I, I don't think I could not do something in music. Um, not only because I, I dedicated so much time of my life of it, but from it, but I was like, I've, it's always been a part of my life in one way or another. Um, yeah, like, whether or not I was like, from singing with my grandparents in the car with their little cassette tapes, you know, it was just always something that that's a part of my life. And it, it's something that I, that surrounds my everyday life. And um, 
I think it started to change once I started discovering the different career paths I could take it within music. And um, not only that, but like meeting different people who had already been in those career paths and seeing them being successful and seeing them um, doing what they love. Uh, that definitely, that's definitely something that keeps me with my head up high, you know, because sometimes it, it's hard, like, okay, what am I, I, I can be sitting in my Persian sitar class, I'm like, wait, why am I doing this again, and like, what is this gonna help me with, but I think it's not the fact that, um, it's not about, like, what am I doing in the current time, I, I mean, that does have some, some form of importance, but, like, it's kind of like in the near future, I'm learning about all these different cultures and I'm learning about all these different styles of music. Um, so I can have like an interdisciplinary like view of everything. Um, but also like if, I, if I'm if i inspired to, to create my own music and compose my own music, I have all these different styles that I can grab from and um, be inspired by. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't have like composing in my, in my near future or but I mean who knows I, I can like one day just wake up and and uh, and want to do that but yeah right now it's it's being kind of like that facilitator and being an arts administrator but I mean why why should I only be like like gatekeep to one thing like we were saying like I can pursue different things on the side while also doing a career and um, all while doing music. So as long as I'm doing music, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, what was the, I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> um, has your, have your aspirations or your, um, your career trajectory in the music industry changed um, since you've been at Morehouse? Um, I don't think it has changed. It's just, be, I think the vision and trajectory became more clear because I, while growing up, I was, I had many mentors um, growing up, which were trumpet players. So Drew Nimmer, Brandon Phillips, Marcus Paul, all great trumpet players, all great musicians in their own right. I always look up to them no matter what. So having their career aspirations uh, with Brandon and Marcus, they've, they're, they're in like the heart of the industry um, right now. So they've been touring with Ariana Grande, Ala Black, uh, Lucky Day, and like many others. Um, Drew Nimber, who's a great trumpet player, very proficient in jazz, very proficient in classical music as well. And having that as like a mirror or something to aspire to be. Um, but when I got to Morehouse, then I when I uh, when I was studying with Melvin Jones, um, having these many conversations with him and advice because he he was on tour of Medea. He um, he's just done many things and many accolades um, since I was like one. <laughs> so we're talking about in two thousand, at at least two thousand. So having those people as mentors and as teachers. Um, it makes your vision, it makes the vision of you becoming a musician and makes your trajectory a lot more clear and more transparent. But also, um, I was told this, you know, going into Morehouse, 
your network is your net is your net worth. I was gonna I'm gonna repeat that again. Your network is your net worth. So that comes a long way too. Well, that's um <clears throat> that's great because that takes us into one of our questions that we have from YouTube. Come on, the universe collective is just collective consciousness. Universe is on fire today. Um Someone asked from YouTube, can you speak to the importance of a support system slash network within classical music, but also outside of the music world? Oh, Jackie, you go first. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, your support system, sometimes we can easily think that that can be like our family and the people that we hold close to us. But even then, um, sometimes that that isn't the case all the time. Like, you know, we have our parents who are like, no, it's, it's maybe take some other direction. But um, thankfully that started to change once I, my family started like realizing that I was taking it more seriously. And I was standing my ground whenever they would tell me like, no, you shouldn't do that. But I was like, it's it, at the end of the day, who's applying to college and who's going through all of this process and who's the one who, um, who's, doing all of this on my own and um although it's it's important to have that support system it's also um at the end of the day we're the ones making the decisions on our own and it can definitely help having people that surround you tell you you can do it and um giving you like a second opinion um but also your your yeah your network if you know the right people and if you go out there on your own and look for different opportunities, you know, they're never going to be handed to you directly. And especially if you've never put the work, um, I was thankfully given the opportunity at Colburn because I like walked into their offices. I would always drive past Colburn and I was like, wow, it'd be such a dream to like go there one day. And one day I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go in there and see what's going to happen. And I walked into their offices and like I specifically went into the community school offices and asked for any scholarships or any any programs that um, like weren't necessarily, necessarily the, the conservatory. But I was like, is there any program that I can apply to and see if I can get a scholarship for so that I can attend at least one class here? And they're like, yeah, we have, um, I don't remember the scholarship name, but I applied to it and I didn't get it, but the office, um, the office of the community school and community outreach, which was Hasmin Morales asked me for an interview. And I was like, I, you're asking me for an interview, but I didn't get the scholarship. So what's happening? And, um, you know, that door closed, but another another one opened for me and that wouldn't have ever been possible if I hadn't finally decided that I was going to start knocking on those doors and um, with that I, I built my network around that I uh, all of the other Fortissima fellows are some of my close friends and they're all pursuing um, they're all pursuing some some form of music and some aren't but I think just having that same community of they're all women of color musicians and just having that community and then having all of my friends at Yola, some who are pursuing music and um, people like Delaney, I love and aspire so much um, to like have an ounce of what you have. But um, it's just amazing to see how 
all the people that you knew like growing up are like doing all these great amazing things within music and um i mean that can be some some kind of network and, it, and it's important but it's also just because you don't have that many contacts don't be afraid to to start knocking on those doors because that's the only way you're going to get things um and yeah and, until you start knocking on those doors until you start talking to people um that's that's when things are going to start happening and that's when the ball is going to start rolling but yeah mm -hmm. um in terms of my network um don't be afraid to reach out to people that you don't know but also establish it as well um make sure you find mentors as well and really your network is your net worth as some people always say um but really like having mentors and having these connections come a long way um as, i'm sorry i'm in my train of thought right now um <laughs> my god um but i mean you 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 touched on it before, like it, it led us really like seamlessly into this question, like all the people that you named that helped you sort of streamline your vision of what you wanted to do. It seemed like you had a lot of people who did different things. So you didn't have just like one person that's like, I want to be just like them. Like it seemed like you had a lot of different people who are doing different things. And so you kind of had like, like a variety platter, like hmm, I could do this, I could do that, I could do that. Like, um, it, it seems like that that kind of like helped you. Is that true? Yeah. Um, also, um, too, like, don't be afraid to get your parents to help you out as well, because your parents also should believe in your vision of what you want to do. So really, my dad, he's been helping me create my network as well and just helping me reach out to people that he knows as well and started making that connection, that experience. But as I was in my lost train of thought and what I was gonna say, now I got it back in my memory um, now. Uh, don't be afraid to create your own pathway, like with you and with uh, with Delaney and Katie, for instance, like they created their own podcast, they created the pathway for them. And that's a great thing. That's like, that's major. Like there aren't that too many people in classical music that have a classically black podcast. <laughs> like I always told some of my friends, like you realize this is like a huge deal, right? <laughs> I think I think uh one thing that might be intimidating like like parents are super super important but also um my mama don't know anybody okay <laughs> so, <laughs> people at church so it's like I think you both you both touched on an important aspect as well is creating your own network when you keep working hard and you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing you whatever aspect of music you're trying to pursue or or outside of music in general you you people you will find people who align with what you're trying to do. I met Delaney in the airport and now we got a podcast. Like you will align, you will align with people. You will find, you go to people who you are afraid of and you ask, I wanted to Jennifer Arnold. She was a violist in the Oregon Symphony for years. I'm thinking 13 seasons. I wanted to her, I'm like, can I have a lesson? Best lesson I had in, one of the best lessons I had in my life. And that was a year ago and now I'm where I am now. So it's like, you go up to people where you, who you are afraid of and that's how you build your network. Like she's in my network, you know, my former teachers are in my network. And then through Classically Black, I have met people, but you're like, I don't want to start a podcast, but you don't have to do that. You find people who you align with and they know people and they know people. There are people I could text right now 
and I'll be like, I need this. And they, they're texting three other people so I can get what I need. Like that's, and I didn't have that overnight. You know, it's like you, you keep doing what you're doing. You meet people, if they align with you, you attach to them and you keep going. Um, there's another question, Dorian. Yeah, we, we have one in the, the Q&A and the Zoom that's been here for a minute. Um, how competitive is going to music school? Uh, sometimes uh, I think of studying music as you always have to be practicing and everyone is still better than you. Is it okay if I jump on this first? Yeah. Um, a friend always told me that there really isn't no competition because if you worry about competition too much, it just mentally blocks you, you know? But I would say, don't worry about, don't worry about it. Don't worry about other people. Don't compare yourself to other people. You know, compare yourself, your competition is only yourself. So you always compare yourself from yesterday, last week, the month before, the year before, even like an hour before, like, did I get better today? This and that. Um, and just enjoy the journey, enjoy the journey. That's what I was trying to say, but don't harp too much on the future nor the past of what you did. Focus on the now and just build upon that. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly always going to have to keep practicing, but I mean, Katie and I, we are very much on the same page about stuff like this. When I'm in the hallway to the practice rooms, other people playing my ears, I don't hear intonation. I don't hear sound quality. I don't hear nothing. I worry about me, you know, because it, like, like I said, it's a constant, like you're, you're constantly trying to build momentum going forward. And every second you spend worrying about what, if, what somebody else sounds like, you've lost a second for yourself to improve what you've been doing. So I feel like it's just being, being kind to yourself about, you know, um, about giving yourself the, the opportunity and the, and the grace to improve without mm -hmm. worrying about how it's going to be in relation to somebody else. But, but also just to be completely transparent, like every music school is different. So if you're looking, if you know that competition is not something you want, it is personally, like Delaney said, it's not something I am interested in at all, especially because like, I know how I'm, I, I can be quite hard on myself. So I don't need everybody. I don't need all my peers to be hard on me as well. Like every music school is completely different. and and every studio is different so it's going to take if you know that competition is not your thing like music is a competitive thing like everything you know um don't act like you don't want to be line leader one day in class one week <laughs> in class like there's competition everywhere okay so it's up to you to be like what school do i want to go to what schools am i interested in okay what about that studio who are the people in that studio message them on facebook instagram that's how you find out the environment of the studio the environment of the school because every school, like my undergrad wasn't that competitive, but Eastman can be a competitive place, but my studio isn't. So it just, it really just depends on, wasn't, but it just depends on, uh, on what you want. Um, for me, I think like in the ethnomusicology program, we're all really, we have a group chat together and it's eight of us. And um, there isn't really um, the environment is really growth based and like we're all like hey is who's taking this and um i think that's really that's a really nice thing um to have because i feel like it it's different for for every school like katie was saying and um it just depends on on what you want and what you think you can endure um and 
yeah, being at the ethnomusicology program and taking those classes has been really fun. And I definitely knew like competition wasn't my thing. And sometimes it could have been, it could be like really toxic, but um, to me, I had a different vision within what I wanted to do with music and um, currently going through that. Um, this is a question. Who were the people that inspired you to do what you're doing? What made them inspiring? Um, <laughs> I guess I'll go first again. <laughs> um, it's just too many people to count. Um, it's okay if I go like one by one. I know it might take a good five or 10 minutes ish, but I'll probably make this discreet as possible. Um, so with my mentor earlier from SESA, uh, Mr. Ricky Washington, um, who's inspired me, he always told me that make sure you divide and conquer when it's also, when it's in the terms of not just music, but also in life. And that really just, it comes a long way for me. Um, another would be the musicians I play with at church. So I got to name them off the top of my head. Uh, Richard Turner, Jimmy Williams, Lyndon Rochelle, Devin Rochelle, Ron Roseboro, Don Bynum, Richard Sykes. Um, I practically played music with them, and even though they were way older than me, um, kind of felt like I grew up with them. And they're just inspiring me for what they do. Um, and they've been pretty much everywhere in the business, really. Um, I know Mr. Bynum, he played for Bootsy Collins. That's 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 like huge. Lynn Rochelle tour with Robin Thicke and Esperanza Spalding. That's just huge to me. Um, Charles Dickerson, Marcus Paul, and Brandon Phillips. Um, they're great musicians in their own right, and they've um, they just they've done a lot for. Um, I've I've put in the work for like everything for for them and for me, and they've been really teaching me a lot of things. A lot of things when it just comes down to the business and just when it just comes down about life as well um for high school i would say some of my classmates at hamilton high school i can't um i'll probably name a few off the top of my head right now um joey carreri um infinity street brandon stennon um eli howe christopher poe ronnie hurd kelsey kelly um julian caviedes all those people I've uh, connected with at Hamilton High School are inspiring to me. Um, at Morehouse, uh, Dr. Chad Hughes, Dr. Uzi Brown, uh, Melvin Jones, Dr. David Marr, who's a part of the Glee Club. Like, they're all in a class of their own, as well as my father and my mother. Everybody who I've interacted with, um, they've inspired me to become who I am today. And I think without those people, I don't know where I would be. I don't even know if I would be half the man I am right now. How about you, Jackie? Um, to me, specifically, I think the turning point into like what I thought I could do um, was meeting Giovanna M. Clayton. Um, she's a cellist at the Hollywood World Orchestra. And um, I met her over a summer at a music festival, a chamber music festival. And this is when I was still like 
testing the waters I was like I don't know if I if if I'm if I'm good enough for this or I don't know if if I can actually do this and just meeting her it was like mind-blowing I she was um you know she like spoke to me in Spanish and she was also um like we grew up in the same similar background and um it was just it was kind of mind-blowing to me to see how open and caring she was about knowing that like I can definitely have a place in an org in a professional orchestra just in the professional music world and um I mean my music teacher of 10 plus years Amina um Hasmin Morales all of these people were definitely strong women that I had seen within the, the music world and um I mean Angelica Cortez she's on this but um all of these were different and very strong women that I had seen um, navigate their world and navigate the world of classical music on their own means. And I mean, they were all people that that encouraged me and, and still pushed me to the day to to continue, you know, making my own way and making my own path um, as I follow some direction as to what they they already have done. Um, but specifically my interaction with Giovanna I had just met her a summer I got her contact information and she had offered me lessons um but I was I was really scared of taking them I was like I don't know what's gonna happen and I took a, a lesson with her and it was really really I, I I definitely felt really inspired and then a year later or two years later um we did a concert at the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl and she was my stand partner. And I was just like, oh my gosh, Giovanna, like, Gia, like, what? And we hugged and we talked. And I told her that I was going to UCLA, which which was um, the school that she graduated from. So it was just this really big, happy moment for me. And um, it was definitely a lot easier to envision myself within those spaces, um, knowing that there was someone who pretty much went through the same thing and um, plays not only like loves music, but also played the same instrument as me. And um, yeah, the, it was most inspiring because it was just uh, like, they were all very strong and empowered and they helped me envision myself as them, but also create my own image for myself to help other young girls and other young women who are also navigating the same paths yeah mm -hmm. so we're, we're out of time uh thank you so much you two for coming and sharing your experiences before we go just can we can you tell everyone who is watching where we can find you your website instagram whatever you kenneth do you want to go first or you can go first jackie Okay, so I'm actually on Instagram as Mielecita. I don't know if I, um, where I can put that. So, um, yeah, on Instagram as Mielecita. And that's usually just like the platform that I'm, I mostly use. Um, yeah, feel free to, to follow me on there. <laughs> um, I'm mainly on IG. I'm about to put this in the chat right now, but um, my handle is at Kenneth underscore Brown underscore music. And I'm about to put it in the chat right now. 
Yeah, if you could go just put that into Sorry. the chat, that'd be great. Sorry, go Delaney. No, I was going to say, yeah. you can find it. I know we had a couple of questions that we weren't able to get to. Feel free to DM those to us if you if you want to do that and we can still answer them because um, there were some that I certainly had an answer to in, in my head. So um, you can find uh, Katie and I on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, anything at Classically Black Podcast. Um, and you can also email us if you want to talk to us that way at uh, classicallyblackpodcast at gmail.com. Very cool. Well, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, to our four uh, folks who were talking with y'all. Uh, Delaney and Katie could not thank you enough for putting this panel together and Jackie and Kenneth. Uh, we really thank you for your honesty and, and for uh, sharing your insights. Uh, we appreciate you all. Just so everyone knows, this is part of a five-part series, so we'll get to hear um, from Delaney and Katie again next week, uh, as well as the following week with Alex Lang. So Katie and Delaney are focusing on folks who are either in um, college right now or just after college around that space. And Alex is focusing on folks who are kind of mid-career level. Uh, and then at the end, we'll put uh, those brains together. And I think that that will be a super fun conversation uh, to listen in on. So thank you again to everyone. Uh, we'll catch you all on Thursday. Let us know what other questions you have and we'll catch you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye, thank you. It's an honor. <laughs> all right, y'all, it's time for Black Excellence when we hype you up, gas you up, and give you your props because there's room for everybody at the top. Who are you talking about, Delaney? Is it everyone? That's the proper English, right? It's everyone? Mm -hmm. Everyone? I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna stop saying everybody because that's how I talk, but is it everyone? It's definitely everyone. I just realized that. All right. Well, this week I'm talking about. <laughs> um, this week I'm talking about Jeff Scott. Y'all may uh, recognize his name or his face from the Imani Wins. He is okay. the horn player in the Imani Wins. Now listen, he started playing the French horn um, when he was 14. Um, he got a scholarship to go to the Brooklyn College Preparatory uh, Division. Snatch everybody's edges. You know how this goes. It's black excellence. Right. Ain't nothing new over here. Ain't nothing new. Right. He went to um, Manhattan School of Music um, for his bachelor's, and he got a master's degree um, from SUNY at Stony Brook. Um, okay. Then he continued uh, studying after that um, and got a, a ton of accolades and, and credits. Um, he, he played in the Lion King Orchestra on Broadway. Um, from 1997 to 2005. Um, he played in the revival show of Showboat. Um, he's been a member of the Alvin Ailey and Dance Theater of Harlem, Orchest Harlem Orchestras. Um, numerous performances under Wynton Marsalis at the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. Um, and then, of course, like I said, Imani wins. I mean, that alone right. would just be the Black Excellence. Like, that, just that. Like, yeah, just, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Um, actually, just saying, he's been in the same room as the Imani Wins, but he is in the Imani Wins. Like, like, come on. Right, I, met, um, I met Monica that one time. We met Monica that one time. You can't tell me nothing else. So, I just, I just breathe the same air. So, um, like, he is really out here. He's played on um a bunch of movie sound uh, tracks as a studio musician um with a bunch of notable artists. He he toured with Barbara Streisand with Luther Vandross. Like. Dang, you like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Who? Like, what? This don't be normal. Y'all don't be normal. That's the problem I really have with the Black X line. 
Like y'all don't be y'all don't be normal. I mean, it's good, but I'm just saying, like, who does that? Um, he also right. Who whom who's. Um, he also has several arranging and composing credits, um, including uh, starring the off, uh, scoring the off-Broadway production of Becoming Something, um, include uh, and and many other ones, um, the Canada Lee story, the Josephine Baker, um, A Life of the Jazz Hot, which is um, also another off-Broadway production. Um, he also has written some original works for Solo Winds um, and Wind Brass and Jazz Ensembles. Um, and he's been on faculty. I don't know if he still is because he got a new job, which I'll get to. Um, he, he's been on faculty um, at the Montclair State University of Music Department since 2002. But in March, um, he was um, offered the position at Oberlin to join their faculty. So, I mean, he out here. He, it's just one of them. It's just one of those, another one of those black excellence, black excellence. Whatever that goes without saying. That's just like we just doing what this because like, like y'all y'all already know, but like we right, sure y'all know. Like it's it's just a formality at this point. Right, I'm about to say it's formality. Right. Wow, I can only aspire, but for now we dream. Huh? Well, you, I mean, why would you do that? One of these days, I, I forgot to make you the black excellence. One day, I was gonna make you the black excellence, that, like that, that's, you graduated or something. I gotta remember. I'm gonna remember. But you're not gonna remember, so I got nothing to worry about. I, I actually will. Um, I'm Delaney, please do not. Actually, well, I should have made it today because when this episode comes out, it's gonna be Katie's birthday. Katie's birthday. Okay, that's very well and good. You're not gonna do the whole song. She's not gonna do the I want to say thank you. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say thank you, but I just feel like no. I feel like I can't be Black Excellence because this is half my show. So it doesn't count. It doesn't work that way. Michael Scott made himself important in a month, didn't he? Oh, no, he didn't. He wanted to. Oh, also, Michael Scott? Like, come on. <laughs> Um, doesn't work but thanks for your offer everybody who I feel um, like I feel like we should when we, we should when we release when 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 I feel like we should I feel like we should dang you let me forget my turn of thought see when we release wait but let me remember it. before you say it I feel like we should highlight people who have actually achieved Achieve what? Did you forget about your Memphis Symphony Orchestra fellowship? What, what was the, what was that? What was the word at the end of of the end of the Memphis Symphony Orchestra fellowship? Fellowship. Okay. Fellow, are fellowships not hard to achieve? Incredible. All right, so y'all, the piece of the week. <clears throat> difficult. 
So, piece of the week is happy birthday. I just sang it. So, <laughs> it's not your week. It's the piece of the week. The piece of the week. The week. It's already been. It's already been decided. So. The piece of the week. Been. Happy birthday variations. By Holmst. Actually, there is a happy birthday variation. It's actually very complicated. I remember because they played it um, at Interlochen when I was there, and I was like, "Really, y'all?" Um, okay, but it's not your week to pick. So you know what? But I'll write that down for your birthday in October. Mm-hmm. But we could, Delaney, we'll use that for your birthday in October. I'll write it down. Write I'm going to be uploading this episode. Oh, it's by John William. I'm going to be uploading this episode. So actually, whatever you pick is not even going to be on there. I'm just going to backspace it and put this. So. <laughs> Okay, me going in and editing the SoundCloud. Okay, me editing it back and locking you out of your account. We both petty. You said what? Yeah, we both petty. We good for it. We really good for it. Now we both locked out looking dumb. (laughs) (laughs) The piece of the week is Capriccio Espanol by Rinsey Korsakov. And I don't give him enough, but he went crazy on Capriccio Espanol. Like, he really... I bet the audience won't hear it because they'll be hearing happy birthday. So. I'll be cutting this whole portion out. You're not. It's going to be a golden year, period. Right, and I wanted to be, like, on a beach or something. That's okay. I'd rather be alone. No, I'm not going to do that. Remember last time we talked about this and I played Golden Lady by this new one here? I should do it again. You shouldn't. No. But <laughs> but yeah, twenty seven on the twenty seventh. Right. I'm excited for a better year. Are, like the ten days apart on seventeenth and twenty seventh. You said what? Oh, seventeenth, seventeenth, twenty seventh. I know a lot of people's birthdays are on the seventeenth. My grandma's birthday is July seventeenth. My stepdad's birthday is January seventeenth. Oh dang! Yeah. I feel like a lot of people have missed it, but a lot of people miss their girl on birthday. Like you missed your, did you even celebrate your golden birthday? Like was it like a you were a gold thing? Like oh, it wasn't like a whole situation, but that was a good year. I went, I graduated high school, went to my during college. Yeah, but so. yeah, I really want to do something. I was going, I was actually gonna try to do some type of like party thing, but like I really don't want like for people don't know like I live in a two flat, so but I. I engage with my grandmother a lot downstairs. It's separate apartments, but I engage with her a lot. Our doors stay unlocked. So I would just feel, I just don't want to bring people, even if they've been socially distancing, to the house. So it's cool. If we, if this thing get wrapped up by next year, we know. Oh, you should make a street for, for Katie makes a vegan, a vegan birthday cake or something. I was thinking that, but I don't know how to bake. I don't know how to bake at all. Bacon is hard. Bacon is hard because you can, there's no room for error. Yeah, it's hard. You know, I love me a good carrot cake. Carrot cake. Carrot cake is so freaking elite. Carrot cake is so good. And you know what cake I miss? The Red Fern. This is vegan restaurant. Okay, I know. Now your face changing. But I they know, have I'm really good. They have really good desserts. They have this like lavender lemon cake. It's like the, it's only like one flower. flower. It sounds weird. Actually, what is it? I probably. I never that. understood that, but like I just don't know what that stuff tastes like. What is? You don't. 
But I feel like you know what lavender, like, you know what lavender tastes like. Lavender's like, it's different. I know what it smells like. And it smells like things like I want to eat. <laughs> so I'm confused it's, by that. It's not like lotion. High key, I got some lavender lotion right here. Let me, um, lavender tea is really good. Remember, I used to get a lavender flush. I got some Java's. Dang, we ain't never going back, huh? It's going to be a minute since we're going back at Java's. We still on the episode. Um. Oh. <laughs> oh, you have to remind me, girl. You had to remind me. Thank you so much for listening to Classy Black Podcast. What's the thing? Don't forget to follow us on social media at Classy Black Podcast. If you have a piece of the week suggestion, black excellent suggestion, or even better, a new co-host. Send it to classlyblackpodcast at gmail.com and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye, y'all. A bientôt. Or whatever. <laughs>